Good morning, church. Hi. I'm Micah Johnson, and I'm a junior at Park Christian School. Raise your hand if you've ever seen Toy Story. It's a pretty classic movie. In the movie, there's a conflict between Woody and Buzz. Woody is jealous of Buzz because he's getting played with by Andy more than he is. So this leads to Woody accidentally pushing him out a window. If a friend accidentally defenestrated you, you've got to admit, you would feel betrayed. This feeling of betrayal can be found in Psalms 55. So, for some context, Psalms 55 is, to believed, is believed to be written by David, but we don't know for sure. If David wrote it, it could be referencing a story in the Bible about David's son who overtook Jerusalem, and that can be found in 2 Samuel 13 through 16. Long story short, Absalom kills his own brother, flees from David, and then returns to Jer Jerusalem to take over Jerusalem. Even if David did not write Psalms 55 when he fled, it's a stellar model of how we can cry out to God in our suffering. The first thing we should do when we are betrayed is cry out to God for help. The psalmist begins with a cry for help. We can see this in verses one through eight, that he is deeply upset. He uses words like distraught, anguished, and depressed. In verse five, it says, fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. The psalmist uses these heavy words to describe his fear. This dude is clearly in distress, but he's not only being in distress, he's also being oppressed. In verse three, it says, because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. The psalmist is not only suffering emotionally, but also physically. He's being threatened and assailed, which means a violent attack. In fact, in verse six, it says that he would rather have, he would want to have the wings of a dove and fly away. And in verse seven, it says that he would rather be in the desert than the situation he's in right now. Now, you might think, the desert, it's pretty awful. In fact, the desert could also be translated to wilderness or dry season, according to Alan Ross. And it would be common for people like David, who followed the Lord, to meditate on the word of God. We can even see this with Jesus, who spent 40 days in the wilderness without food and was tempted by Satan. And yet, Jesus did all this just to meditate. How often do we pause and meditate on the word of God? It's okay to ask God for help and be brutally honest. We can see this in the book of Job. Job was suffering. Job cried out to God in his suffering because the Lord had taken away his prosperity, his health, and his family. And sometimes we don't know why we're suffering, but we don't suffer alone. Jesus not only sees us in our suffering, but has suffered with us. When we are betrayed, we should cry out to God for help. There's this old short story I heard a couple months ago, which isn't in the Bible, by the way. But there was a man, and he was walking along the beach shore, which represented him walking through life. And there were two sets of footprints. One of them belonged to him, and the other belonged to Jesus, who represented Jesus walking through life with him. But he noticed there were points on the beach where there was only one set of footprints. And the man asked the Lord why through the tough times he saw there were only one set of footprints. And the Lord re 
responded that he, the Lord, was the one carrying the man through those tough times. The Lord not only walks us through our suffering, but carries us. The second thing we can do when we're betrayed is to be slow to anger, because vengeance is the Lord's. Jumping to verse 9, which says, Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. The psalmist not only wants to flee from the wicked, but also that the wicked be destroyed. This dude wants justice. He describes the city, which is probably Jerusalem, as filled with malice and abuse, and with the destructive forces in verses 10 and 11. Now, how many people in here have gotten mad before? You probably all should be raising your hands. I know I definitely have. But like the psalmist, we should forgive those who betray us. Instead of being quick to anger, it says in James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We should also allow our faith in Jesus to control us and not our emotions. It says in Romans 12.19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Trust God, the creator of the universe has got it under control. So, this leads us into the question of why. Why is the psalmist feeling this way? We can find out in verses 12 through 13, which say, if my enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, and my close friend. Sorry, Rafe, I kind of cut into your section there. But these verses lead us to believe that a close friend has in some way harmed or betrayed the psalmist. And betrayal in any scenario is hard. We see this in the story of Jesus with Judas Iscariot. Judas was on the inner circle of Jesus' followers because he was a disciple. And yet, in spite of that, he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And in spite of that, Jesus, because of his great love for us, died the death we deserve on the cross to forgive our sins. I had this friend in elementary school, and he was one of my best friends. His name was Ryan, and you don't need to go looking for him after the service because he's probably not here. But anyway, we, should always, we always would sit by each other at lunch. We would always, I would always invite him to my birthday parties, and we would, we, would, we would even play with Legos, which was like the thing back in the day. And one day, while I was walking in the hallway after school, like late after school, so there's like no one there. I see Ryan, and he's waving. So naturally, I would wave back at him because he's my friend. But turns out he was waving to someone who was behind me, and he walked right past me. And at that moment, I felt so betrayed. Now, I know that's a relatively small example of betrayal, but at that moment, one of my closest friends didn't even acknowledge that I existed. And this led me to become angry at Ryan, which is not the right thing to do. Eventually, everything went back to normal, but I feel like our relationship with Ryan had never been as close because of my resentment. This leads me to my final point, which is to let God take control. For humans, this part can be hard. More often than not, we want to take control of our own lives and figure things out on our own. When we suffer from the betrayal of a friend, Many people try to find relief in worldly things like social media, video games, phones. Man, you youngins and your phones. I thought my generation was bad. 
I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I totally fall victim to that as well. But the only thing we can find relief in is our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Yes. In Matthew 11, 28 to 30, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The only place we can find rest in is through Jesus. So, how have you responded to betrayal? Have you cried out to him in the past week? Have you been quick to anger or quick to listen? Have you let go of the control over your life and given it to the God of the universe? What would it look like if you cast all your burdens upon the Lord and let him take control? Maybe this could look like intentionally taking time out of your day to read the Bible or pray. Or instead of getting mad at your siblings, you could have patience with them. What would it look like if you cast all your burdens upon the Lord? What would your relationships with your friends look like? What would your relationships with your family look like? And finally, what would your relationships with God look like if you cast all your burdens upon him? Thank you. Good morning, Bethel Church. How's everybody doing this morning? My name is Rafe Sarnan. I'm a freshman at Morehead High. Go Spuds. Um, Super Bowl's coming up, and I'm curious, how many of you guys are Chiefs fans? We have Chiefs fans in here? Ooh. What about 49ers? There it is. And how many of you guys are Vikings fans and not cheering for anyone because they're not playing? <laughs> anyone can betray us. Anyone. Our fellow Christians. <laughs> Lamar Jackson, our friends, anyone. In this passage, how does David show us that we can rely on God? And how is God always faithful? Before we see what David has to say, I'd like to share a story from when God had shown faithfulness to me. I hope many of you have seen the movie Swiss Family Robinson. Well, I can confirm there are no tree houses when you are stranded in the wilderness. The story begins with my father and I traveling to Canada to have a father-son bonding time in the wilderness, fishing. It's like a seven-hour drive to our camping spot. We have to take back roads, logging roads that haven't been used in like 20 years, so it's a bumpy ride. The week was not off to a good start as I crashed a six-wheeler into my uncle's custom-built Ford F-350. But eventually, we uh, made, it, made the hike to camp and it's about a three-mile boat ride to the spot we usually like to camp in. It's referred to as the rock because it is literally a rock. So we set up camp, and, um, you know, everything's going good, and we're having a great time fishing. And on the last night, I see a storm on the horizon. So I go, Dad, there's a storm coming. Should we, like, start preparing? He goes, ah, it's nothing. Don't, don't stress about it. So 15 minutes later... 80 mile per hour winds kick in. And um, recently that week, a bear had been eating our food, so things had not been the best. We prayed. The tent had halfway collapsed on us. Trees were falling down. It was nothing like I'd ever seen before. The next morning we woke up, the boat had sunk. It had rubbed against the rock and the 
hole had been punched in the side and water flooded in. Now let me remind you, these boats are not your like five-star boats. They're 12 feet wide and not 12 feet wide, 12 feet long, and they're not very big. They're very short, easy to tip. My dad, while I was still sleeping, had hiked to the next lake and dragged one of these small boats that he had found back to our camp. So the only option we had with no motor was to row three miles against the wind and waves back to the truck. So I felt like George Washington in this moment as he's rowing and I'm like, left, right. Eventually, we made it back to shore and everything was good. We got a motor and we were able to pick up all our stuff and make it out alive. This story is always a good memory of God's faithfulness to me. So remember, when the winds of life knock down the trees around you and sink your boat, God is always faithful. Now, let's see what David has to say, because David is not in Canada, but he's somewhere else. Psalm 55, who wrote it? Like Micah said, David. This psalm is known as a lament, and what is a lament? It is known as a prayer expressing sorrow, pain, or confusion. It says here in verse 12, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. So David is expressing that his enemy is just not just any ordinary enemy, and he's calling out to God for assistance. Then who is the enemy? Let's read the next verse. Verse 13, but it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, from whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship with at the house of God, as we walked among the worshipers. His enemy is someone he knows, a friend, someone similar to David. So David was close to this person. And this is why it hurt him deeper, because this person is not someone whom you expect trouble from, but rather your friend. Verse 15. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. David, in his first part, asks for justice upon his enemies. David is in distress, and he's crying out to God for help. But David doesn't have to worry, because he knows that God will protect him. Ask yourself, do you ask God for help daily? The Lord is my help, which means I should turn to him daily. It says in verse 19, God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. God is reliable. He provides. And I can promise you this, God will never fail or desert you. God will always deliver justice to the enemy and the evil ones, which is why I can depend on the Lord to be my help. Verse 20. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. He, his talk is as smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. This man, who David thought was a true friend, was secretly an enemy. His words were false. He stabbed David in the back. He spoke like the serpent in the Garden of Eden. He was not someone whom you'd think to do such a thing. It says in verse 22, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. We don't have to fear because we have God on our side. God will always protect, always help us, always be there for us no matter what. He is our foundation. All he asks from us is to believe in him. And it's kind of crazy how simple it is. 
He asks so little from us, but yet in return we get salvation and so much more. No matter how small or big you may think the problem is, ask God for help. No problem is too big, no problem is too small. The Lord is my help, and he will always be there. And finally, verse 23. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay, the bloodthirsty and deceitful. They will not live out half their days, but as for me, I trust in you. David sets aside all the chaos in the world and trusts that God will bring him through. David is telling us that he doesn't have to worry. Justice will be brought down to the wicked and evildoers. No matter what happens in this world, always know that God is our rock, our firm foundation. He will provide in all situations. The Lord is my help. This passage shows us that the world will never be easy. And I'm guessing that you've already figured that out because I know I have. And this is why God shows us that he is our provider and that he will always be there for us in our time of need. But in all that we do, glorify God and trust in him. God never fails. How are you going to rely on God this week? How has God answered your prayers? Take a moment to reflect. How can we learn from David and apply it to the world we live in? What does that look like? Is it praying for this community? for the state, for this country? Maybe you know a companion who is let down by this world. Take a moment to share with them the good news of God because there's a loving Father that loves them very much. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone being gathered here today that we can all get here on this fine Sunday. And I pray for Pastor Lucas as he is unable to join us this morning because he is sick. I pray they would heal him, heal his body, and um, pray that we could all have a good, good time enjoying fun and have a good Super Bowl and hopefully spend time together with friends and family. And Lord, once again, I thank you for everyone being here this morning. Amen. Thank you guys. Good morning. I'm Olivia Soljum. I'm from Kindred High School. Um, and I started my faith journey at age six when I was at Crystal Springs Family Camp and Ruth Irish told me how I could have a relationship with Jesus. I knew who Jesus was, what he'd done for me. I had a childlike faith, but I still had a lot to understand, like what I was saved from and a deeper understanding of Christ's love and plan for me. As a child, I felt secure in God's arms, but I also could feel apathetic towards what he did on the cross because it allowed me to hide my sinfulness. For many years after that, I became invested in other things that your typical middle school or high schooler enjoys, gossip, jealousy, insecurity, and even desire. I began obsessing over my looks, comparing them to others, and seeking validation from boys my age. Of course, this got me nowhere, and I fell into a state of hating the way I looked, talked, and acted. I trusted the opinions of others who said I was living my best life or enjoying my youth. The Bible became an old, dusty book sitting on my nightstand, a constant reminder that I would eventually pick it up, but not now, not when I had so much going for me, because I knew the minute I picked it up and began reading, everything I'd built, all of my pride, would fall apart. And I refused to let that happen because I wanted to be the hero of my own story. The world tells us that if we pursue our own interests first, we will succeed in life. But the word of God tells us to seek first his kingdom and all this will be added onto you. Thankfully, the Lord placed people in my life 
who were there to encourage me and help me in my struggles. As I began to grow and mature enough to realize that the way I was living was wrong, my interest grew in learning how strong my faith was. I don't remember exactly when, but I began questioning my faith, specifically because I had heard of miraculous testimonies that left the parties involved miraculously changed, and I never felt that way. If anything, I was ashamed of my Christianity. It didn't make me cool, so why share it? What I didn't realize at the time is that I had a completely wrong perspective. Recently, I heard someone say that your perception of God is the basis of your faith. That could not have been a better time for God to put that on my heart. My first time ever truly hearing the voice of God was at Castaway Camp my sophomore year. I had been thinking about heaven and the hopes and fears I had about it. There was a sermon where we talked about heaven and how it was a real place and how amazing it would be. I instantly felt comforted. Looking back, God had given me an opportunity to show his love for me. Even when I was expecting things I didn't deserve or doubting his love and plan for me. After that, I began seeking out that peace that surpasses all understanding. Thanks be to God, a few months later, I actually started desiring to read his word. I'll admit that I would read a few chapters and grow bored or tired because it was at times difficult to apply to my life. But I believe this is the difference between a passive faith and an active one. When you begin acting out your faith, it becomes concrete and you begin bearing fruit you never would see in a faith that you speak with your mouth or with a verse in your Instagram bio. The summer after sophomore year, I got the opportunity to go to Challenge, which strengthened my faith and showed me more of God's character. I came home with motivation to spend time in God's word and complete the at-home study guide given to us at the conference. My junior year, I began hanging out with my sister's friends, who are now graduated. At the start of second semester, my sister started a Bible study that had originally eight people and grew to be about 14 by the end of the year. This was a huge blessing in our school because it gave our peers an opportunity to talk about the others, sorry, to talk with others who share the same faith as them and learn more about the Bible and Jesus' role in it. I was surprised to find that many others were struggling with the same thing that I was, trusting God. I saw others wanting to grow in their faith and God gave me the opportunity to share my faith with others. While I wanted to be closer to God, I was still worried about sharing it with others because of how I would be perceived. I was safe to talk about it around my Christian friends but outside of those who shared my experience, I felt I looked the same as non-believers. This didn't sit right with me. There were times when I felt like a fake Christian and I would get so filled with guilt and fear. I was always comparing myself to super Christians who seemed to have their whole lives together and were so knowledgeable of the Bible. After my senior friends graduated, it was clear that I would be the one to take on the Bible study. I wanted to make it more known so others who were not in our direct circle of friends could ha come hang out with us. I posted flyers all over the school, which attracted more people than I thought, and I'm so grateful for that. God graciously gave me a new friend and other leadership to help me with this Bible study. With so many people interested in talking about spiritual things, it was easy to have good, meaningful conversations about the lessons from the Book of Romans and other things going on in our lives. Eventually, a fellow student began attending Bible study who challenged those beliefs. This is another time when God was showing his character. I had been praying that God would show me my testimony and how I would communicate it. One night in late October, I was texting this fellow student about my beliefs, which I felt not completely equipped for as I am not a Bible expert. As I was talking to him, 
It all just made so much sense. Everything just aligned in my head. The gospel, Jesus' role in it, his assigned role for me. I saw clearly what it meant to have faith that was more than just a feeling, not something that could be completely understood by human standards or completely proved. I remember sitting in the band room during my study hall, watching an episode of the Bible Project on YouTube, one on the book of Genesis. They were talked about Adam and Eve being in a relationship with God. They were created that way. And their sinfulness is what separated them from him. And he loved them anyway. For a long time, I hadn't looked at it from the perspective of humans deserving eternal separation from God. I found it unfair that he became angry with people and punished them for their sinfulness. I had a hard time believing that God's wrath was justified. Then I realized God's love, the sacrifice of Jesus' death on the cross as a payment for my sin, and the gift of salvation we receive through God's undeserved mercy and grace, and the importance of faith, of by faith receiving that grace and mercy. This totally shifted my perspective. It required submitting my life and every aspect of it to the one who held it from the very beginning. I understood joy and insurmountable peace that I had never felt in my life. I went to lunch that day with the biggest smile on my face and a firm foundation of faith and trust. I told God that no matter what I read in the Bible, I would be in submission to it and believe it with obedience. Not because I have to, but because I want to. Because I love the Lord and I know that his ways are good. It was my refusal to be in submission that brought about so much trouble in my life. God has been with me every step of the way. While my faith is still young and I still have a long way to go, the Holy Spirit has emboldened me to share my faith with all of you so that you may, in turn, feel seen, understood, loved, and emboldened to do the same. Thank you. Dear God, thank you for all of these students who show so much love for you, who praise you and turn their hearts toward you. Thank you, God, for using them in this way that they can show how much they love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a good day.